0: Entry in the Diary of Doom. I'm Dylan, and join me as we look back on the rich history of Doom Metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or whatever shady podcast streaming app you want to use. And if you have a question or want to pitch something or just feel like giving me some shit, you could fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. Back in July, the truly fantastical outdoor festival Fire in the Mountains was finally celebrating its return after a two-year hiatus. It is a festival that captures the power and beauty of playing within the space of nature. Raw. Powerful. And as with any festival, bumps in the road pop up. Trad Metal Lords Visigoth announced that their drummer had fallen ill with COVID and was likely unable to perform, but a last-minute stand-in saved the day in the form of a drummer who uttered the phrase, wait a minute, I mastered these tracks, I know how to play them, suit me up. That's when Andy Patterson, already scheduled to perform with his new outfit, the Otolith, picked up the sticks and helped Visigoth turn in what was likely a killer set. And today, I'm very pleased to welcome that random hero to the podcast. Good to be here. Um, Thanks for coming on, Andy. Uh, Andy's a a well-known drummer, very prolific career, uh, previously of uh, Sub Rosa and Insect Arc, uh, whom I spoke to Dana way back in the beginning of uh, the podcast. And he also runs Boar's Nest Studio in Salt Lake City, where he has recorded, produced, mixed, and mastered bands such as previous guests on the podcast, Dust Lord, just recent guest Abrams, Eagle Twin, the aforementioned Visigoth, and uh, Mexican black metal band Micklin that, that their most great. recent album. So uh, yeah, you've kind of, you've been at this for a long time. This has been your life. Like basically it seemed like since you got started, like you, this was just your path and you made it a reality and uh, what you, the career you've built out of it is, is pretty unreal.
1: I always uh, say that i'm super super lucky that i have very talented friends that are trusting and patient with me that we can make mistakes along the way together and they keep you know they keep calling and keep coming back and we grow together and so i've been doing it for about 20 years and so hopefully i don't make the same mistakes you know more than twice and uh it just built over time but i'm really really lucky that i am part of a a scene of such talented people that it makes my job really easy because all I have to do is just not screw
0: up their record, you know. <laughs> now, are you uh, are you actually at your studio right now, or are you at home? No, I'm in my garage okay. at home. To kind of touch on your background, like maybe like even before you got into being such a prominent member of the SLC scene, like what was your musical upbringing like? Did you have a musical upbringing or did you find music on your own, like later on?
1: Well, my my uh, my go-to origin story is that I was uh, at home uh, playing one of my older brother's uh, KISS records backwards to try to hear satanic messages. And I didn't hear any, but then I let it roll. And uh, it was the d- double platinum record. And I just really fell in love with it. Uh, my mom caught me air drumming. So I, you know, I learned piano. I even I I was taking violin lessons at the time. And my mom caught me air drumming to a Kiss record and asked me if that's what I wanted to do and I said, "Yeah, that's I I want to I want to play drums." And so she, bless her heart, bought me a drum kit for my birthday that year. And as everyone knows about drummers, as soon as you have a drum kit, you're automatically in 3 bands. And so <laughs> So I, mean, I, just, I know
0: some people who are in, like, four or five. Well, I
1: mean, that at very least, three bands, at very least. <laughs> That's if you have the superpower ability to say no once in a while.
0: No, you're not Dave Witty. No, 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 no. It, it, I,
1: I can say no once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, started out in the hardcore scene. Uh, I was a straight-edge kid, but I was only a straight-edge kid because I didn't have a guy I could buy weed from. As soon as I found a guy I could buy weed from, I I, I was out of the game. So
0: <laughs> sorry guys, I'm out.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just grew I grew up in the hardcore scene, lived and toured with I didn't play with, but I lived and toured with uh the band Iceburn, which uh the guitar player of Iceburn uh is Gentry Densley of Eagle Twin. And that was his like first kind of like band of, of, of significance and uh back in the day like back in the early 90s so i got to tour and travel and all that sort of vicariously through them as their roadie you know driver or whatever and then moved to uh moved to la for a couple years uh in like 98 and uh started picking up the the bug about recording so i you know i i made beats on samplers and and then got a computer because I needed that, and then microphones because I needed those, and it just sort of s- snowballed into. Finally, I was like, "Oh, I'll get a, I'll get a like a place where I can actually do this all the time outside of the practice space with bands next door playing, and I have to ask them to be quiet so we can do vocals or whatever." And so, yeah, so that was kind of my, I was like kind of the short version of uh, my sort of initial journey into into doing what I do. But drums have always been the constant. I've always been a drummer in mm-hmm. in bands all 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 the time. So the, you know, being a recording engineer is seemed like a natural progression for me.
0: Iceburn just like more recently put something out, right? Within the last Correct. couple of years. Yeah, and it was like kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, well, it was the first record that they've done in like 24, 25 years, 23, 24 mm-hmm. years, something like that so yeah it was it was it was a big deal and it was a lot of responsibility for me just personally because like i said i grew up with those guys and uh was always a huge fan of the band and so that record but i mean every every record i do is important to me but that record was like really important to me because i it was this like full circle moment for for me of Hanging out with those guys, wishing I could be in the band, but I didn't want to replace their drummer because he's one of my favorite drummers. And so knew that I would never be able to play with those guys. And then for me to like have this arc of like, you know, start recording and get good enough to have the, you know, be capable of the responsibility of their first record in two decades. uh, That was a big big deal for me. So I I really, uh, really pleased with how that record turned out.
0: And then the other thing I was going to say is like, so it was like the late '90s when you started to become more interested in engineering and production work and whatnot. So you know everybody loves to talk about gear and and the tech of this scene and whatnot. And there's uh, uh, there's always such a demand for like older equipment and and analog stuff. What was tech? What was it like in the '90s? Like for that kind of uh, project to get off the ground because I know obviously now there's like a ton of like just at your fingertips recording and editing software apps all kinds of things like just built-in your iPad or your phone or your computer I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm grateful for it that
1: I kind of went the sort of traditional started with a cassette four track learned how to bounce tracks and you know manipulate like four tracks total and then moved on to uh, what they call eight-ats, which was uh, the first like digital recorder that was um, so actually on a VHS cassette and it had eight tracks on it. So I moved up to eight tracks and then, uh, and then I was saying before I started messing around with samplers and, and computers and it was, it was primitive back, back then. This is like, uh, this is like 94, 95, something like that. And so the early recording software was pretty, uh, it was pretty basic, but still like overwhelming to me because it it was more options than I'd ever seen before, you know, but I was, I'm I'm grateful that I started recording myself to with a four track and then moved on up to to digital and computers, but also as a, as a musician, the first recordings that I did were on uh, tape, you know, the two inch tape machines. And so I'm, I'm I'm lucky that I have that experience or that memory of that, because that doesn't happen as often these days, just because tape machines are huge and heavy and hard to maintain and expensive and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a tape machine at, at my studio, but I have gone to other local studios that do have tape machines and cut like basic tracks to tape and then, Transform into the computer or into Pro Tools is what I use and and do it like that just to get that kind of, you know, that tapey vibe or whatever. But but that even that doesn't happen as much as I'd like, because, again, it's just cumbersome and a pain in the ass. Right, yeah. And I'm a fat. I'm, I'm fast. Like the, the way that I work is, is pretty efficient and fast. And so I don't like fucking around for a long time. You know, I won't tune a snare for like three hours. You know what I mean? I just it, I like things to just like, all right point shoot go you know
0: well i think you said uh maybe i'm getting ahead of it here, uh, down the line but i think you said that it's like you know, not your job to like do that like that you're you're that's the band to know like what they're doing you're there to uh make sure it's captured in the best uh moment like in the moment in, a, in its best way yeah
1: absolutely i consider myself to be kind of an audio photographer in a sense of like those guys or girls or whatever have spent all the time honing their shit, you know, their tones and their performances and all that in the practice space. And so i am never one to be like, uh, you know, you should, you should use this other thing, you know, or you should play this differently or, or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm pretty like hands off about like the creative aspect of it. But I do like being helpful. So, a, a story that I, I often tell is you know, a guy came in and he had an amp modeler, like an, uh, like an early version, not like a new like Kemper or Axe Effects or whatever. It was like a early Digitech. But the um, setting on it, the preset was called Tread Plate, which is code for Mason Boogie. They can't put Mesa Boogie on there, the you know, trademarks or whatever. So, like, you know, British is like, you know, a Vox or you know, a Marshall or whatever. And uh, anyway, I saw a Treadblade on there and I'm like, hey man, just, just for fun, just as an experiment, I have an actual Mesa Boogie here. And and this, I may have been a little snarky about it, I, I won't lie. You know, <laughs> I was, like, I mean, your thing is trying to do with math that this thing does with iron and glass all day you know what i mean so just give you know give it a shot if you don't like it that you know that's fine you know we use your guy and he was really proud of his, his little guy because he spent a lot of money on it and I, I i respect that and then i ran into him about a year later and he was like i'm still mad at you and i'm like why man I don't, what the fuck and uh he's like yeah i had to go out and buy a mesa boogie because <laughs> I, I couldn't recreate that <laughs> and i'm like I'm sorry. And you're welcome. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So kind of to go back to your, your interest in music though, separate from that, like, when did you, when did you, when did you find yourself becoming more attracted to heavier music, kind of like following the punk movement, or was that just sort of like a natural progression to go from punk rock to underground heavy and then like, you know, metal adjacent and whatnot.
1: Well, I mean, the thing is is I wasn't really in the punk rock scene. Mm-hmm. I was in the like the hardcore scene. The hardcore
0: scene, excuse me. Yeah. And the
1: hardcore scene is like it's all about the breakdowns, you know, mm-hmm. and that heavy part where everyone loses their shit after like, you know, four China symbol hits, you know. Like that, you know. So heaviness was always kind of I gravitated toward, you know what I mean? Even going back to KISS, like I was more of a fan of God of Thunder than I was like rock and roll all night party every day. You know what I mean? So like, I just like, that was just like the thing that I gravitated toward was, was heavy, heavy tones, heavy riffs, you know, things like that. It's just the stuff that, you know, touched a, touched a nerve for me, which I, you know, basically again, lucky enough to like, I could just, I had all of that around me. I just, all I had to do is just like, you know, pick, like the thing that the show that I'm going to go to would always be like, you know, a heavier show than like. uh... Okay, a good example is is, uh, when I was young, one of the first shows that I went to, there was two clubs, one uh, they were both about two blocks from each other. And the one show had Judge Gorilla Biscuits, maybe another big straight edge band or whatever. And then the other club had Death and Dark Angel, and I went to the Death and Dark Angel show, even though all my friends were gonna be at the Gorilla Biscuits judge show. And I wanted to be at that show too, but I had, you know, gun in my head, I had to make a choice. So I chose the fucking, the death metal show. And, uh, you know, so it's just, you know, things like that, little, little decisions along the way, curating my life of, you know, things that I'm into.
0: Salt Lake city is known for its little pocket of music history. And obviously you have a movie like SLC punk, which I haven't seen. Don't get mad at me, which I understand.
1: It's, it's not like, I mean, it's not like a hundred percent accurate representation right, of, of the time, but, but I actually know a few of the people that were uh, characters in that, in that movie. That's also, also it was filmed across the street from the practice space that i used to live in and i could see like they had like the lighting on the outside of the thing and you could see you know all the the catering trucks and all that kind of stuff and so they were actually filming that while i was living what they were filming but you know (laughs) many years later because i was actually living in the practice space when in the scene that they were filming there is those guys like living in a a squat abandoned building slash practice space kind of a situation
0: was it kind of did you were you like ah, this is kind of weird
1: <laughs> oh well i didn't know what it was until i saw the movie like i i knew that they were filming something over there and then when i saw the movie i'm like oh shit, that's what i saw that's what that's what they were doing over there for that week you know and and so that, that was that was that was a treat also fun fact steve-o the main character is a loose homage to uh, Stefan Edgerton from Descendants and all because uh, Stefan and the guitar player from Descendants and Carl Alvarez, the bass player of Descendants, they both used to live here in Utah. And uh, Stefan was in a band called Massacre Guys here. Carl was the singer in a band called the Bad Yodelers. And and I I mean, you want you can see their documentary and they'll tell you that a better Version of the story of how they moved to Colorado. But yeah, they used to be here. And so that character is like loosely based on the guitar player of uh, Descendants. Huh.
0: Wow. I, I have no frame of reference for any of this. So, to me, like, wow, that is really interesting. It's like Spoiler somebody, alert. Like, oh, Spoiler. It, I, do you find out he's somebody's dad at the end of it? <laughs> no, no. No, <laughs> no um, but I wouldn't say. <laughs> um, but people who are fans of this, genre like are probably familiar with ice burn eagle twin um so when did you start to become like did you ever have a, like a moment where you're like kind of realized like oh i'm sort of like a fixture here and like you know how do you feel about that
1: shit i i don't know i mean i, I guess one fun thing is um we have a festival out here uh put on by this wonderful person jerem bischoff and his wife tiffany uh called crucial fest It just
0: happened, right?
1: Yeah, it happens every year, and it just happened in uh, uh, the end of August. And that was named after my wife and I, because we used to have a 4th of July barbecue, and we did it for about 12 years, and it was, like, insane. Like, like one year we had, like, nine kegs and, like, 400 people in my backyard, (laughs) and, like, and the, the cool thing is that the, our backyard overlooks uh, a, a, a freeway, and then beyond that is a is a, lo- a local park where they used to do the fireworks. And so it was like just just right, framed up right for us. It was just like it was it was perfection. So we stopped doing it as soon as they stopped doing the uh, fireworks. But anyway, we used to call it the Crucial Barbecue. And so, Jeremy and Tiffany called their festival Crucial Fest. And the ongoing joke is and he's been doing it this this last one was the 11th not in a row obviously you know the the two lost years but uh and the and the ongoing joke is that i get to play as many sets as i want to if i'm in a band active or otherwise i can play the show so this last year last couple years i've only played you know two sets uh for the for the weekend but there was one year i played eight sets Holy it was shit. just like bands i was filling in for bands that just started you know and something like that you know so i kind of feel like i'm sort of like mayor mayor of crucial fest and like you know my presence there is like appreciated um and
0: mary andy has a good ring to it
1: yeah so i mean as far as like my standing in the scene or whatever like you know that's, that's nice you know people are happy when i'm around you know
0: You've been at, intensely active as a producer and a mixer and a master for, you know, over 20 years now you've worked with at the time when I wrote this down, you've worked with like 250 bands, maybe more, you know, some of them are probably not the kinds of bands you would expect to hear based on, uh, your time in Sub Rosa and now the Otolith. Were you ever concerned about getting known as the guy who makes fuzzy angry sound good, or do you, Find that like the line of work keeps things interesting for you.
1: Oh no, I'm happy about that. In fact, I have the, the phrase that I use is I'm I'm the loud guy. <laughs> you nice. know, I'm the I'm the guy that won't ever tell you like when you know when someone is like, is that too loud? I'm like, no. I mean, does it sound good? Yes. Well, then it's not too loud, you know? So so I'm kind of known as the loud guy, but you know, a lot of that is to the fact that my my clientele, you know, the people that I, I generally work with are on the heavier side and the louder side also i don't advertise and so i don't get a lot of like different i mean i do i do different genres of music you know i've got like a crew of hip-hop dudes that i work with a lot and i have like alt country you know but like i don't do like i don't do pop stuff i don't do i don't do a lot of i don't do a lot of metal core kind of stuff and not by design but well actually it is by design because because if someone calls me and I figure out what it is that they, what they're going for, if it's something that my gut instinct isn't going to, like, I'm not going to be the right fit, you know? So if there's like a metalcore band and I'm not, sh- I'm not shitting on metalcore, I'm just, I'm just saying like a lot of the things that those bands like are things that don't occur to me. And like, that's not in my wheelhouse, you know? So I'll do them a favor, by sending them to someone else. I mean, there's another local guy here that does that all day, and he he's great at it. And I'm like, you have a way better shot. Just like if you know, someone called me with a, you know, uh, an orchestra or a you know classical jazz or, or or whatever. I'm just like, I'm just I I'm just not. I don't think I'm the guy. You know, like you need to, for like jazz guys, like you know you they need, they need a nerd, you know, they need someone that's like (laughs) measuring out like the distance from the microphone and like, you know, checking to see how much like total harmonic distortion there's coming through the preamp, you know, like that kind of nerd shit, which I, I, I I don't care about. I'm just like point, turn the knobs until they sound good. As soon as they sound good, stop. And, and then we're off and running, you know? So I'm happy about that. You know, i if i advertised i'd get more business and i'd make more money which would make my wife happy and make me ultimately happier but but it's a quality of life kind of a thing and i'm really i really enjoy that that i've been able over 20 years to kind of curate like this subset of uh you know things that i enjoy listening to as well as recording
0: yeah and like i don't say this in any kind of disrespect it's almost like you're kind of like the like a, the producing world's like world's best kept secret or like everyone knows that like you're out there and like you do it so well like everyone's always like yeah man fucking andy rules like he knows exactly what to do and like they say like i've had a couple at least a couple of people talk about uh you're like getting produced and you working on the records and and like how positive the experience was
1: well and it's people like you that Ask me to come on your your show and 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 talk about you know how fucking great I am. So I appreciate- <laughs> fish? I'm really bad. I'm really bad at business, and I'm really bad at promoting myself. So, so the way that I get business is hopefully you know word of mouth. You know, like who recorded that last Iceburn record? Like, oh, Andy Patterson did. You know, and I've got business from just that. You know, like just from. Someone being like, who recorded that record? Oh, Andy Patterson did. So, you know, a band from New York will come and and record with me because of something, some other record that I did. So that's one way of getting business. The other way to get business is I go to shows, I play shows. And so, you know, every time, every time I'm out, uh, you know, like back to Crucial Fest, Crucial Fest is kind of a harvest moon for me because I'm there the whole weekend like from thursday to sunday and i'm there the entire time and i'm running into people like oh man i've been i've uh, been meaning to call you uh, the band's gonna be ready next month you know that kind of stuff and so that that's how i get business and yeah i wish i you know i wish i made more money you know or like worked more often than i do although i do work quite often but you know it's a it's a pretty good balance of of, of life you know that i don't have to I've never, I've never woke up in the morning and been like, oh fuck, I gotta go to the studio today. You know, never in 20 years, you know? So I must be doing something healthy for myself.
0: I'd say so. In regards to like your, you know, non-heavy stuff like that you, work, that you uh, work with, like what, I guess, what is it about a non-heavy project that like grabs your ear? does it have some quality of that to it? Like, cause some of the like, like hip hop uh, and rap artists that I listen to are definitely on like, I don't know what you would call like the muddier side, like bands like Death Grips. And um, Mm -hmm. I like the bug a lot and he works with a whole bunch of rappers. So is it something like that?
1: It's about connection. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. about, you know, like with, with, with hip hop, I only work with like a, a a small crew and it's base, and it's really basically one one person that like is the sort of center son of this of this crew of of other hip-hop acts and what i love about working with him is he is just so like stupid talented and interesting so it's never like a drum machine ever it's always like he's digging in crates, you know, and he's finding like the weirdest shit, you know, and he's making beats out of like a, you know, like a an old like Star Trek record, you know, mm-hmm. like where other actors are playing Shatner's role or whatever, but it's not Shatner doing it. it you know, weird shit like that or like a, a Sesame Street. He'll take a Sesame Street record and like cut up like little parts and make a banger beat out of out of you know something teaching about the letter l you know shit like that so i i really enjoy it because every time he comes in i don't know what he's bringing and i know but i know it's going to be fucking fun and sound rad and the fact that he you know he can do it on his own don't don't tell him that but he can do it (laughs) he can do that shit from home but and so i always appreciate the fact that he brings it to me because i care about it and i'm uh careful with it you know like i so he brings me a sampler and we we load his beats like layer by layer so it's not just a, it's not just a. he's giving me the left and right out of the sampler and then doing vocals over the top of it it's actually a process of like sweetening all the tracks and like doing like a proper mix on on things and and uh so which is fun for me if i if it was a situation of just like putting in stereo tracks from a sampler and rapping over the top of it, I get bored, like super easy, like super quickly. And uh, that doesn't appeal to me. So he what's makes it like a full name? contact kind of a thing. Say again, what's his name? Uh, his name's Daniel Fisher goes by fish, fish loops, rotten musicians, the numbs, Daniel Tiger. He's in a band called furthermore, back in the day. Anyway, Yeah, he's a he's a a wonderful person and a very, very talented, talented musician. And then as far as the other end, like alt country or, you know, you know, stuff like that, you know, like I I've had some of the most emotional moments in in my whole career recording country bands, not country like in its modern context, but like guys, you know, writing about real, real hard shit in their life and loss and addiction and things like that. And I've I've had multiple moments with, you know, this this one kind of crew of of, of musicians where we're all in tears because it's just like, you know where those lyrics are coming from, you know what they're about. And you can see the I mean, I actually fought for uh, there was there was one record that I made where the performance of uh, the vocal performance, he started crying and it got real shaky and a little, you know, pitchy or whatever. And I fought hard to keep that take because even though it was shaky, it was, you can't recreate that emotion. You know, it was just like, it was just so pure that like that needs to be the thing that exists forever. Fuck take 13 that sounded perfect or whatever you know
0: not when you can have like emotional purity like that
1: yeah i'll take the fuck up and have the yes the emotion there versus like perfect performance everything went great you know but where's you know who cares
0: i mean i like my music to sound like it's not like you know that the people are putting in a thousand percent but I like to hear those little things because it means like they were trying and like, maybe just like they slipped up a little bit. That's okay. Like, I mean, I like that. It means it's alive. It means it's living.
1: Listen to like a Zeppelin record, you know, like, like again, back to uh, recording nerds, nerds will lost their mind to hear that, that squeaky kick drum pedal, you know? And to me, that's like those are the little nuggets. Like you can actually hear the room, you know, you can hear like, and in today that would be considered, you know, an edit. That would be considered, you know, like, hey, can you take out the I could hear the snares rattling in between the the things or whatever. And to me, that like that's that's the that's the good stuff in there, you know. That means that you're actually a real musician playing real shit and uh not being too precious about it.
0: And it might help like remind, you know, the 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 listener, like if you listen if you're listening to an album and you're like it just sounds so good. Like those little moments remind you that like, that this is reality and this is like, this person is going through this thing too. Or like just that little thing kind of, kind of reminds you to be like, it's sort of like, Hey, and not everything is perfect out there. Right.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: So we kind of talked about it um, a little bit, but like, you know, do you think your process has, if, uh, or I'll rephrase the question as this. Uh, do you think your process has changed or evolved over the years and like i understand that you use some older gear for your recording work like and but you use pro tools um but like were you ever kind of like concerned about the shift towards digital or like where it's going even now
1: no i've never really been worried about because digital it came came a long way and it kind of came a long way quickly at least in my experience like i wasn't really feeling like i mean i remember the adat days and adat that was when you started getting phrases like, "Oh, digital's harsh and cold." Well, no, digital isn't harsh and cold. It's just capturing exactly what you put into it, and it's not doing anything to it. Tape and tubes, you know, they, they they distort the audio. I mean, that's that's why people love tubes and and tape. You know, maybe the distortion isn't like, you know, an amp on high gain or kind of a distortion, but just that little fuzz in your ear that just like the dumb, you know, catchphrases of like, it's warm and fat, you know, those those Mm kind of like go to words or whatever. But but there's there's truth to that, that like that when it's digital only. Then your ears aren't used to hearing. You know, ever since there's been recorded music up until digital, everyone was used to a sine wave and then digital came along. And that sine wave went from this to and it might not seem a big deal, but your brain does recognize that difference. So instead of it being just a a pure wave, it's 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 a series of steps of capture, you know, so it's not fluid, but they've developed things to make that to alleviate that. Mm -hmm. Also, when I one of the things that I grew to love is using as much outboard gear as I can to combat that digital harshness or whatever. So uh my preamps, I always, you know, I'm I'm using the EQ on my preamps, tube EQs, tube compressors, you know, things like that 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 just like warm up the the thing and not in like a a harsh unless you want it to be, which I have done before, you know, like blow out the fucking the tubes and like make it sound all gnarly. But just, it just adds, it just like, it sort of like glosses over those, those steps and just like kind of puts like a, you know, like a nice, you know, like mud and a, mud and a drywall. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, cu- cover up the, the seams a little bit, you know? Funny. So I don't use a lot of vintage gear. I mean, technically, a lot of the gear that I have, I've had for so long that they're probably now considered vintage. But that wasn't my, you know, that wasn't my my thought process is to buy old gear. And plus, uh, you know, uh, old gear breaks down quicker than new gear does. And also new gear has parts in case you need them, or you can, you know, maybe still have a warranty on it and where you can replace it if, if it takes a shit in the middle of a session or whatever. I enjoy the... The vintageness of the, of what it does to the audio, but I'm not like a I'm not like a nerd about like I've got to have some you know 1920s microphone that you know
0: it's like basically falling apart.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean you're just holding something together, but that's why you know like tape tape is like considered vintage and you know and it's and it's great for what it does, but it's also uh, it, it's also a pain in the ass and also. The way that I work is um, I don't often have a band come in and do a record from start to mix in one stretch. I'm usually having like you know a band will come in over a weekend and they'll they'll lay down drums and then a couple of weeks later they'll come in and like do bass and guitars and then you know another week later they'll come back and do vocals and then we'll mix. So I have to be able to recall everything. You know, I have to be able to hit a button and that came that comes back up exactly where we left it, especially for bands that are from out of town and we're doing mix notes. You know, they're like, hey, can you pull the kick drum down a little bit? I don't have to recreate the entire mix on a big board and write stuff down and make sure I know where things are. I just hit the session button, It comes back up exactly how we left it and I can make those minor adjustments and and off and running. So I, I enjoy efficiency over aesthetics, I guess, if that if that's even a sentence.
0: No, it makes sense. So, so I take it you're not somebody who like I'm sure like you have respect for it, but but you're not like going on and like you're not somebody who's like seeking out and collecting this stuff, you know. You're no like no, I want the things that are gonna work best for me because that's what I need and I don't need I don't need superfluous stuff.
1: Yeah, other than uh, other than certain amplifiers like like my Sun model t's those are something that i haven't found i mean there's you know people are making clones of them now and and all that but that that's a that's a particular sound and that amp only really does one thing and it does it really really well and i can't really find that in like a modern modern amp that's got like blinky lights on it or you know like four channels or whatever, you know what I mean? So in that regard, I take it back is that that, that those, are, those are important pieces of vintage gear that I did seek out, not because they were vintage, but because they just happened to be old. And when they were built, that they did that one thing that I really, really love. So in that regard, the, you know, I have vintage amps more than I would have, like, you know, vintage microphones or vintage EQs or, you know, things like that. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm more about having a place where people are, like, inspired to make sounds, you know, and do that. No one gives a shit what's going on in my control room. But when you walk out in my live room, you see, like, you know, a wall of amps and drums and pianos and all sorts of rad noisemakers, you know. And that's, you know, I, I I tend to focus more on that end of it than I do on, like, outboard gear or microphones. I found like a I found like kind of a system, with my microphones and my outboard, that it's pretty like plug and play now. Like I know, I know which mic, and which preamp is, ninety percent of the time perfect for a snare drum. I have a go-to, guitar amp recipe, uh, a ribbon mic and a and a dynamic mic, and into, certain preamps with EQs that. I use like almost a hundred percent of the time on guitars and, you know, and, and on and on and on. So I, I've found like recipes that, that generally work for most things and, you know, and then I can pivot where, wherever, if that, so, I mean, I it changes a bit with like vocal vocal mics. The majority of what I do or what I record, I'm using an SM seven B. What do you got? What do you got there?
0: Oh this this is a uh, Audio Technica like pretty like standard model I forget what the brand is but it's Audio okay. Technica. Okay.
1: I for the mo for mo again cuz I record like hard, harsh vocal a lot yeah. you know. My go to is the Shure SM7B which okay, I yeah. uh, every fucking podcaster uses it. I'm sure I'm sure Except that for, for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. But well the, they're the, not cheap. They're not the, cheap.
1: The company so. Shure should uh give out a COVID shout out because I am sure that their stock went up so fucking high during the pandemic because everybody started a podcast and everybody got the podcast mics, you know what I mean? So, but I use that a lot on vocals and unless it's like a really soft whispery, you know, like a female vocal kind of a thing. Then I have another mic that I, that I'll, mm. I'll use for that. But I generally have like a, you know, a, like a general recipe of, of things that I know work and so I don't fuck with it.
0: In previous interviews with you, um, they definitely paint this image of somebody who marches to the beat of their own drum, and I definitely would agree with that. And you have like deep knowledge of how to craft and shape music, and while being very laid back and hands off, but you're very upfront about your role and, and whatnot. Folks who operate within the heavy music sphere probably get that, and like to me, that makes all sense, but has like, has anyone ever taken issue with, like, when you were talking about, like, how you, you were saying, I'm not going to do, like, a metalcore album because I'm not the right guy for it. Like, have you ever experienced someone just being like, what the hell, man, I wanted to work with you?
1: Not that I can really think of. I mean, one, one example is just that there have been bands that I've kicked out of the studio. And not because they're dicks or anything like that. But there's been certain bands that have come in and they're clearly not ready. They do a thing that I call the field of dreams approach. Like if you build it, they will come. Like right. if we book the studio time, we'll magically be ready because we'll have a deadline. We work well under pressure or whatever bullshit. Right. And they come in and we start recording and it's taken like an hour to get through the intro of a song. And I realize, oh, we're, uh, we're not getting anything presentable a- out of this. Like they're not ready or the guitar players being like, how does that how does that part go or whatever? And so there's been a handful of bands where I've been like, all right guys, controversial suggestion, but I think we should shut it down. I think you should go home and practice, get your shit together and then come back and we'll nail it. And and I know, you know some feelings were hurt when, when that happened, but I'll tell you this, 100% of the time, 100% of the time, those bands have come back And they've nailed it and they've thanked me for it because I, because in my spiel, I say, you know, you guys are paying me to watch you practice right now. And I don't feel right about that. Like I could just sit here and take your money and you guys can fucking like flail in there all all day. Like I could be that guy, but I know I don't want to be that guy. Uh, I want to make good records and I want you guys to be happy with the thing that you've worked on for sometimes years, you know. And so I think we all do each, each other a favor by stopping and reset, and like, like, and then come back and, and come back with you're ready or, or when you're ready. Or there was one where I I was like, you're you're not. So I did say a hundred percent of the time that I. So I take that back. There was one that. That i said you you guys you guys aren't ready and it was like a father-son kind of a situation and neither of them knew what the other one was doing and it was just kind of like a it wasn't a recording session as much as it, it seemed to be like a field trip a father-son field trip to the studio <laughs> and they were just like making shit up as they as they were going along and again i felt so bad about taking their money you know that i was like i just i just don't think you guys are Uh, up to snuff man you got you got to figure it out and he did not he did not come back although we 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 are still friends everything's fine like that but his father-son band uh never stood the test of time
0: (laughs) i can't imagine why (laughs) (laughs) well i guess uh to ask too like has anyone ever kind of been weirded out by your more hands-off approach have been kind of like expected more of you even though it's like pretty well known at this point
1: yeah, but I mean, there's there's been a few bands that I I hate to keep put putting metalcore under the bus, but there's been a few bands that had this idea that they needed a producer, right? That they they I don't I don't know what like if they saw a documentary or or, or something where like you know someone came in Taskmaster and be like, all right, snappy or like all right, let's come we're going to change your look, you know, we're going to like, all right. And I'm just not comfortable with that kind of stuff. And so there have been a, a couple of bands where they're like, they, it'll be little things where they'll say like, hey, if you have any ideas, let me know. And I'm like, I will say something if I have an idea about something, but it's never going to be about the creative part of it. it it'll, it'll always be like, and it usually starts out with, hey, I'm going to try something. And we'll all know... <laughs> We'll all know at the same time if it works or not, you know? So I have no ego about like trying something and it being a, sounding dumb. Yeah. Uh, the opposite of that, where someone says, can we try this? I, I will 95% of the time, I will never say no, like, or that's a bad idea. Unless I one hundred percent certain that I have tried that before and this is how it turned out. And this doesn't sound like the, what you guys want it to turn out like. And so, save ourselves some time and not try the thing that I've already tried and tested to be, you know, not good. But most of the, m- the majority of the time, I'm like, I oh, will try whatever, man. And I, and again, like, we'll all know at the same time if it's going to be shit or not. You know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, like, all right, move on to the next idea. So I will, I I will make you know suggestions once in a while. You know, like I'll put like some echo on a thing or whatever. You know, like, oh, you. Going for a spacey kind of a thing, or whatever, maybe something like this, or whatever. But again, the bands that I I record, the vast majority of them know how I work, at least through, I don't know, uh, word of mouth, that that's how I that's how I work. You know, there there was one band that I so I left my studio in two thousand eight for about six months. I got like. a a, a really like expensive, nice, nice studio here in Salt Lake. Uh, Their Studio B opened up and I moved into the Studio B because it was fucking pamp. It was like, looked like a fucking Jay-Z video in there. Soffit mounted monitor. It was, was, but the vibe was terrible. Like, and I, and I actually had a punk band say, hey man, we want to record our next record with you, but we, we, we won't do it at that studio. And I was like, whoa, he's like, we're we're afraid that we're going to get in trouble. And I was like, fuck, you know what? You're right. I felt <laughs> that way when I was there. I felt like if I went to the mic closet, you know, and like touched the wrong thing or whatever, I was going to get yelled at. And I did get yelled at, which was the uh, final straw for me moving back into my studio, my original studio, was that they told me I was too loud. So I've lost two studios for being too loud my very very first studio i recorded a, a stoner doom band and they had full stacks and we did it live and it shook the fucking building and the ladies that had a business next door came up to me the next day yelling at me like whatever you're doing in there yesterday you can't do that here and i'm like lady it's to be hoped that i'll do that every day like that's i <laughs> so i'm a fuck off go somewhere else because you know and then the nice studio, they told me I was too loud and I was like, all right, I'm going to fuck off back to back to the place where I can be loud. And so that was a you know, that was a learning experience. Uh, It was kind of like what's the what's the parable of like uh, the dog that barks at the dogs holding a bone and he looks at his reflection in the water and he barks to try to get the other bone, but he loses his bone. Something something along those lines. But <laughs> I, I left. Did. I left my studio thinking I would go to greener pastures, and then realized what I had left behind was actually what I, where I belonged.
0: I mean, I don't know if the dog bone works out, but I totally no, don't.
1: No, that it, that was a you know, <laughs> that was swinging a miss.
0: <laughs> but I, I, but I understand. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really unique perspective. I imagine probably people don't hear a lot about um, from that part of the music world. But uh, you know you were you do I, I did read that you have some unique fixes for solving recording and production issues. Like you just built some walls up and made like for some sound adjustment. Have you done anything like really outlandish to get a certain sound?
1: Well, I can tell you my failed my failed attempt to try to be like super fucking clever is I'm remixing uh, an Iceburn record that they recorded in 1992, and it was on ADAT. Uh, Gentry bought an ADAT machine off of eBay because he found he found the tapes in his mom's attic. And so Southern Lord wants to put out all of Iceburn's back catalog or whatever, but we wanted to remix it first. So it, there was all individual tracks, and except for drums. The drums were stereo. And this is in the fucking nineties, man. So I had like that. I don't know how old you are, but in the nineties, 90s... I, was,
0: I was born in the nineties, so I had okay. So back in
1: the nineties, at least in the I hardcore never... scene, everyone's snare was just fucking cranked until it was about mm-hmm. to break, just like ping, ping, you know. And uh, Greg uh, Anderson from Southern Lord asked me, he's like, if there's anything you can do about the fucking snare drum, please, please and I was like it's a stereo mix so I don't have access to the snare mic and the overheads and the all that it's just a left and right and I attempted for a, it was it was a couple months where I was I was working on this and again it failed I wasn't I wasn't able to make it happen but I took the I took the drum track and I only took like maybe a 5 minute section or whatever And I copied it and I went through and I cut out every single thing other than a snare hit. And then with the idea was I would take that edited, just snare hits, run them out through a speaker, run that speaker into a, a, a snare drum and mic the bottom of the snare drum. So it would trick the listener into thinking that it was like going through a snare drum. Like, so I could change the the tuning of it. You know, so all I was doing was getting the the impact of the snare mm-hmm. It took fucking forever to do. And I only had I only did like five minutes and I don't know, like a 72 minute record. I just I just couldn't I couldn't make it sound like I didn't fuck with it. It just didn't sound natural to me. So I, I, I kind of gave up. But now that I'm saying it out loud or like, fuck, it's going to come out next year. Maybe I should give that another shot. I think you but- should anyway
0: yeah that is really fucking cool because that is just like some mad scientist shit that you're like doing to like yeah i and try i to yeah i
1: i tried to be a hero and it, it just <laughs> but i tell you i'll tell you one thing that did work out really really great on on that remix so far is that the thing that i hated the most about that record and i it's called hephacetis and i loved that record growing up it was one of my favorites i'd heard it a thousand times and the thing that I hated the most about it is uh the bass. And the bass player uh, at the time was like 15 years old. He was playing an Ibanez sound gear bass, like this really like just dismal already. And they and the engineer at the time plugged him in directly into the mixing board. So there was no amp, there was no speakers, there's no processing, no nothing, just straight in, which is di- which is technically a DI track. He didn't know it at the time. He was just being lazy and just put it right into the board, and it sounded so shitty. But that particular fuck up that he did allowed me to take his the the bass track and reamp it through uh, the bass player's name's Cash, reamp it through Cash's current rig, and voila, magic! Like it just it's like damn, holy shit. It sounded even better than if he would have used amps back back then in the beginning. It just like that to me saved the record. So, so maybe if I had given another shot on the snare, maybe maybe the (laughs)
0: it'll work out.
1: The whole my whole life will have had meaning.
0: (laughs) Does you being a drummer reflect uh, any of your approaches to recording? As in, like, does it give you kind of a unique ear? I feel like drummers traditionally there's like the. As you as you said a lot, like the nerds, them they're like mathy, they know how to do things, it's all time signature and shit like that.
1: I, I don't know if it's given me more helpful experience, but it, it certainly is like deprived me of other ways to be helpful. Like I I don't know I don't know what a fucking G minor seventh chord looks like I I don't I don't know like what is in a scale I'm not good with vocals like being helpful with vocals I'm kind of just like I don't know they say how'd that sound I'm like how you tell me man how'd you feel about it you know it's yeah you mentioned Abrams earlier and they're they're actually a good example I did not uh, record their most recent record which is Mm. fucking awesome by the way but I recorded a few of their other records and the last one that I worked on, they actually, they were, they came out to Salt Lake and they recorded all of the music with me. And then they went back to Denver and worked with Dave Otero, who's a fantastic mm-hmm. engineer. Uh, they did the vocals with him and cause he, that's, that's more, he is smarter about that than I am. Like he, he knows his shit more and he was able to like bring those guys to a, a, another level uh, vocally. Which In fact, I'm doing I'm doing something similar right now. I've got a band called Guts from uh, from New York.
0: Oh yeah, other uh, previous uh, guests of the show.
1: Oh right, okay, yeah, they were just they were just in uh, right before Crucial Fest in in um, our August, and they're doing the same thing. They came out to me and we recorded all of the instruments, and then they're going back to New York and working working with. And I'm so sorry that I can't remember his name, uh, but he's worked with like. Julie Christmas and like on the, like, like the cult of Luna stuff and, oh. and, and she and Amber, the singer of Gus, uh felt more comfortable working with someone that has worked with someone that she admires. And, and so like, that makes perfect sense to me. And I, I've never, I've never felt slighted or jealous or anything like that. I'm like best sound wins, man. Like whatever, whatever it takes to, of course I want to be a part of it, but in fact, I did, I, I gave her a little shit a, a, after the, their set at Crucial Fest. And I was like, I won't lie. I'm a little jealous after hearing you sing, because all I, all I've heard was like demo stuff and then the tracking of the record, uh, with me. And then I heard her sing live and I was like, I'm a, I am i will not lie. I'm a little jealous that I don't get to be there when you fucking, when you lay that shit down <laughs> for real, because that's going to be awesome.
0: Andrew Schneider. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I just looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> ah, nice. Uh,
1: Google is the calculator watch of of trivia.
0: <laughs> it is. It is. But I also that that was not one of those like oh it's on the tip of my tongue moments where it's worth the brain effort to. Well, it wasn't on the. I, I only use Andrew,
1: uh, but and I didn't even know the last name. So, so thank <laughs> you for that.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. But that's cool. That's really cool that you can like that. It's like we're coming together to make a good thing it's not like, like yeah it's it's kind of honor, the uh... it's, it's kind
1: of what i was saying before about like uh what you're doing isn't in my wheelhouse and so here's someone here's the number of someone who does that really well and so it could be like full band production like i was saying about like a metalcore band or something like that and or or like this where it's a like compartmentalized like someone's in charge of uh you know i've done that before too or like people will come to me and just record drums and then they'll go somewhere else and do, or or like go home and do their guitars at home or mm-hmm. whatever, you know? So as long as it's rad and you're cool people, man, I'll, just, I'll be as little or a big a part of it as you want me to be.
0: So we can like actually talk about the new band now. <laughs> um, okay. Can you talk about the genesis of the Otolith and like the upcoming album, which is called I am the not a
1: hundred percent sure, but I, I think it's pronounced the Otolith. The Otolith. The o- yes. Okay. But I'm not hundred percent sure. But, so I mean, I that's probably just me
0: it. being from New Jersey. Yeah, but
1: I, but I, <laughs> ever since the band has been playing out, it's that's that's been this has been a conversation I've had multiple times every show. Is it Otolith or Otolith? I'm like, I'm not sure, but I think it's the Otolith. Okay. But I had a funny conversation with uh, Jake from Visigoth about Cirith Ungol the band Sirith Ungle, oh, yeah. awesome. and I was like, he's like, it's it's pronounced Kirith Ungle. And I was like, really, I've always said Sirith Ungle. He's like, well, the band actually says Sirith Ungle, but they're incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, what, what, what are your thoughts on uh, Celtic Frost? He's like, it's Celtic Frost, there's no basketball involved. And I was like, all right, see, nerd.
0: <laughs> well, i was just about to say oh is this like the celtics but it's even though it's the Celtics,
1: yeah yeah, yeah. there's no basketball so it's celtic for us i'm like okay that's good enough for me
0: uh anyway oh, so no, you, really i'm funny. sorry i
1: derailed your question
0: uncle i've never literally every single time i that band has come up in conversation it's my favorite favorite thing
1: is that that that's how they pronounce it but they're wrong the band is wrong.
0: <laughs> I think they do that in, like, Batman, too. It's not actually Raz al Ghul. It's Ra's al Ghul. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> I don't know. I think the other one sounds yeah, kind of yeah, cool.
1: Yeah. So, Otolith, Otolith, you know, whatever. So, the, what was the question? I'm so sorry. Oh, uh,
0: how did the band come to be? Oh. Because it's, it's pretty familiar. I mean, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's 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 got, a, it's got a, you know, it's a sad origin story, you know? Yeah. Rosa broke up. We were all, we were all heartbroken about that. And so the rest of us, we literally just started getting together on what we would consider like normal practice nights. Uh, we would just like the, for the first, maybe, I don't know, six months or so, we would just get together, and like just be together, talk. And it was like therapy, you know, just like, we were all so devastated when the band broke up, and we were—it it, it came out of nowhere for all of for all of us except for the person who broke up the band. So we basically just got together to like be be family, you know, and be together. And then slowly we started like picking up instruments and just like showing riffs and things like that. Actually, what the the main catalyst for it was um, there was a compilation that came out called Women of Doom. Kim and Sarah from the band, uh, Kim wrote a song and it was going to be Kim and Sarah. And they were asked to be on this women of doom sound or a compilation. And they wanted to record it with me. And they asked, you know, if I would play drums on it. And so we did. And that was just Kim on guitar and violin and vocals, Sarah on violin and vocals and me on drums. And that was it. We didn't even have, there's not even bass on that song. I enjoyed that we were like, oh, we can still do this. We can still write rad stuff, you know, and Levi came back into the fold. Then we just started like riffing and jamming out tunes. And over twenty twenty, like we spent we spent quite a bit of time just making shit up. And then recorded the record uh, late twenty twenty. And uh, yeah, so it was really just out of like we consider ourselves a family, you know, and it really just started like we love playing with each other, so let's just keep playing, you know, and see where it takes us.
0: The Otillet, I gotta now I have to like train ah, what I gonna say have it, right. Have said the the Otillet's music uh, really has like this perfect wilderness feel to it. Like I could see it playing over one of those sleek, atmospheric A 24 films. So it's like a no-brainer that you debuted at Fire in the Mountains, where also like at the top of the episode stated you had to jump in on drums for Visigoth. So what was that like? I mean, it's obviously not eight sets, but...
1: <laughs> no. Uh, well, it was it was perfect uh, for Odolith to... It wasn't our debut. Technically, our debut was last year at Crucial Fest, and then we did two shows with Yob earlier this year, uh, one local and one in Boise. Just it in was kind was of like our here, here the public, like yeah. here, here we are, because the other other shows were mainly mainly local. Anyway, so that was wonderful. I couldn't have gone better. Beautiful setting, wonderful, beautiful people. To experience that fucking gorgeous backdrop you know and, I,
0: I mean i saw the, some of the pictures it was like friend of mine who's photographer here dante he was out there doing like really? photographing the show
1: i know dante yeah he's great when we first got there on saturday night it was uh, during steve on till set and the sun was going down and it was literally fire in the mountains like the clouds that were overhanging the the tetons like the sun had gone down behind them and just lit them up like it looked like a fucking like a scene from Flash Gordon or something. It was insanity. But so so beautiful. The Visigoth thing was funny because that I will correct what you said earlier. I didn't say, well, I recorded it, I can do it. What it really what really happened was, well, first of all, uh, Visigoth's bass player Matt is also in the Odolith. And so he was there anyway. And the rest of the band came up to the to the festival anyway, like e- even though Mikey T, their uh House drummer was sick and stayed back, they all came up just to be at the fest, just to hang out, be spectators. And they canceled their set. And I was talking to Jamison, the guitar player. He was like, well, maybe we can do like an acoustic thing. I'm like, an acoustic thing, I, you know, I don't know, man. I was like, maybe it'd be funny if I just got up there just like played like, you know, like clunk through like two songs, just to like have something. Like do something. I can probably remember like a couple of songs. And then, uh, so I spent some time Saturday night talking to them about with well, their I'm like, I can do these ones. I can't do this one. I can do this one. I can't do this one. I found Wi-Fi for a second, so I downloaded a Spotify playlist of of the set, and I just listened to it nonstop. Played the Odalis set. Uh, at 2 on Sunday, 2 p.m. on Sunday, and then up until 7, which is the v- T- Visigoth time, I just listened to it on, on repeat over and over and over again. Just walking around the fest, just with earbuds in, and just, like, listening to it. We didn't practice. We didn't, no rehearsal or or anything. I think, I, I think right before we walked on stage, I was like, all right, the first part of this song is like, bit, 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 right? And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. And that was it. And we just got up there and just, like, did the thing and it was hilarious and it was super fun it was a mess and it's you know I screwed up probably every transition in the entire for every song but it was great and I wouldn't I wouldn't change a second of it I thought it I I thought it went great
0: it seemed like everybody was just happy you got something you know
1: well and Jake was so fucking smart Jake's the singer and he was so smart. He started the entire thing by saying like, here's the situation. This is why Andy's up here so we can play for you guys and give you something because it's better than not playing. And when it goes off the rails, everybody, it's going to be hilarious. Just laugh with us. And we're going to do this together because that's rock and roll hours, you know? And, uh, I thought that was a really smart thing for him to do to just like disarm everybody first. Let them know what's going on. So there isn't a bunch of confused people out there like their drummer kind of sucks. Like he doesn't know the songs, <laughs> you know, because there would have been there would have been some punishers in there. just being like, you're a new drummer. And it's not so good. I don't know why he's from Germany, but he's, of course he's from Germany.
0: <laughs> Nondescript European. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, so that was a that was a good time.
0: My only context for seeing you live was. When i saw you playing with insect arc at saint vitus and that was very just like I, you were just like in the zone
1: yeah yeah oh you were at that show
0: yeah it was really did cool. we
1: do we i'm not an asshole did we do we meet
0: <laughs> we, no, we did we did not meet that night um i did okay. actually know on here like we we actually did meet very briefly i don't know if you remember at the Cult of luna show back in like february or march of 2020 for like I think we just said hello, took a quick picture, and like on our way or uh, what have you.
1: I don't remember, but I'm also a fucking stoner man, so I don't. <laughs> it's know all good. I
0: wouldn't expect. <laughs> I'm sure you you meet a ton of people, you know.
1: I always laugh because I remember this smallest fucking detail that happened in like 1993 in Wisconsin on on a tour. Like I remember that kind of stuff, but. But like what I did last week, like, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I got to look at my calendar. I have no idea what I did last week, you know, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I also don't like to really be that guy, you know, who's just like got to get a picture and everything like that. I was just like, oh, yeah, I saw you the other night. And then we were just like chatting about, you know, whatever the fuck we were talking about. Not not thinking like we were not going to see anybody for like another like fucking year and a half.
1: I mean, and that's part of it too. That's part of maybe why I don't remember little details about about that brief stint in New York because the world fucking burned a week later for me. Well, for everybody, but yeah, uh, that Vita show, I flew out to Greece three days after that, and we started our the Insect Ark European tour that got shut down four shows in. So everything previous to that is like not as a stark memory as what what was meant to happen later you know yeah it's funny i had a conversation with um with uh, johannes from Cult of luna he was uh at that time and i was like what do you you know what do you think about like how long this how long is this thing going to be you know going on or whatever uh and he's like oh it's it's this is the last year just considered 2020 to be the lost year for everybody. And he's pretty prophetically spot on with that. I remember getting texts from uh, Kim and Sarah from Odalith because I was supposed to be gone for all of March and into April with Dana in uh, in mm-hmm. Europe. And then when everything took shit and I came home, I remember laughing at looking back at it now, uh, getting texts like group texts from, from Kim and Sarah like, so so we'll probably like I don't know, it'd be like a week or two, right? So we'll get together. We'll get together in like two weeks and like start writing again now that you're now that you're back. And I laugh and I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> How naive. I was also supposed to play drums for that band Holy Grove for a oh, tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a tour in like I think June or July of twenty twenty. And I remember like the back and forth with Andrea uh and the other guys. Um Oh, everything will be fine by then. I mean, it's it's only April right now. You know, everything will be fine by then. You know, I was going to fly out up, you know, like in uh, early June, I start rehearsing with them up in Portland, and and it was just like every day is like, nope, nope. All right, this this club closed down. This club closed down. This promoter said, "Fuck everything" for a year. All of us were in uh, in a state of denial for until recently, apparently. <laughs>
0: so yeah i mean i think it was just that frustration that like you know no one would experienced that before and now everybody who like makes this does this as a living is like well shit what's gonna yeah. happen to us now
1: yeah well it's funny man like when i so i have a recording studio and i'm a, I play live music and my wife and i were actually looking for uh looking at properties to start our own bar and we were both kind of like laughing one night about how how indestructible our industries are. It's like, it doesn't matter if there's a war, doesn't matter if there's like a recession, doesn't matter like what's going on. Everyone's going to want to go to the bar. Everyone's going to want to go see live music. And bands are always going to want to record music. And there's this fucking specific thing came out where people couldn't be around each other. And so we were both just dead in the water for, I mean, I was, I was out of work for almost a, almost the entirety of 2020 and she was out of work uh, until early 2021
0: yeah it was a rough year and uh <laughs> i mean you know shit's still kind of whack but i don't know it's yeah. uh it's it's very weird and
1: the funniest thing about the entire pandemic for me was when i was in new york playing that vitus show dana was like hypersensitive to like what was going on and the grumblings of this virus or whatever. So she was like, she was buying like uh wet naps or like, you know, wipes or whatever and hand sanitizer and stuff way before hand sanitizer was cool. And, and I actually, I actually said to myself when we were in Europe, literally two days before everything went down, I was like, i'm really kind of getting tired of hearing about this virus man i hope this people stop talking about this soon because i'm tired of hearing about it (laughs) and then again i laugh and just just strap in buddy you're gonna be hearing about that shit forever
0: (laughs) yeah we you know what that's funny we actually kind of did the same thing like we um we went out like i was at my at the job previous like we had a big event And uh, I remember like we were mostly not shaking hands, not we were like doing elbows. Some of us were tapping feet, Uh, We had hand sanitizer. And then my girlfriend and I went out uh, to go see Weed Eater. And we went to a brewery like right around the corner from the venue beforehand. And we were like sanitizing our hands, we're eating our pizza, drinking our beer. We get into the venue. I'm like, wow, this place is like half full. There should be more people here. And, uh, you know, just, I'm just like, oh man. And then, well, here we are Yep. <laughs> talking about it again.
1: Jesus. I know, man. Well, we, you know, we we both survived to tell the tale. So I guess there's, that's something.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't, don't have to go out on a, on a, a downer note. So like, you know, I, I made like a little aside about it, but like, I hear you're a horror movie fan. I am too. Like, what are you, uh, what are some of your favorites like is there are, are there new horror movies you dig? Oh I don't know I mean I'm not like a like a nerd
1: in <laughs> yeah I'm not like a nerd about it you know but I do enjoy I do I love horror movies. I feel like horror movies for me have kind of been like all right stay with me they're a little bit like porn like <laughs> you watch you watch enough porn you become like desensitized to it, right? So you need something mm-hmm. like, and this is, an, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, not for myself, but I'm saying yeah, of that- Of course, of course. You know, you, you're always gonna need something crazier or something wilder or s- yeah. something whatever, right? So for horror movies, it's like, I want scarier, like truly scarier, not just jump scares or whatever. So I'm, I'm always on the lookout for like something that's like scares the shit out of me and, it's becoming less and less frequent that I find that one moment that uh, then I'm always kind of like chasing the dragon. Weirdly enough, uh, Blair Witch. I saw Blair Witch Project in when it first came out in a, a theater in Hollywood, and I was fucking scared to to ride my bike home. And... That scene. It, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Blair Witch Project <laughs> by now. but that scene when she goes down to the basement and the dude's like standing in the corner, yeah, I get ruins. chills even now just thinking about that fucking scene. That like knocked me out of my seat. So I yeah I don't have like a voracious appetite for for horror uh, or any any genre really, but but I do enjoy it and I do tend to my viewing my viewing does tend to be a little on the darker side. My wife and I both like. Well, you know, It's was like, what do you want to watch tonight? It's like, I don't know. Let's find some murder, you know? So That's it's like murder. some murders, like documentaries or, you know, 2020, you know, whatever. Last night we watched the documentary about the fucking crazy lady from Idaho that killed her kids and buried them in their backyard and she did it for Jesus, you know, and so shit like that. Like, you know, Yikes. I like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I like the I like the darker things in life. I guess just like you know your your previous question earlier of uh, what gravitated me toward heavy. I'm just like I don't know. I just gravitated toward it. It's just stuff that I enjoy. I, I enjoy like a a big heavy riff more than I enjoy like a you know a little cutesy melody or something.
0: Yeah, a little doodly do. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, have you been listening to anything lately that you've been enjoying, whether new hmm. or or not? Mm.
1: Uh I'm almost embarrassed to say this but maybe once every 2 years I go through like a borderline obsessive phase of listening to Bad Religion.
0: My girlfriend's I, a huge Bad Religion fan. <laughs> I
1: I fucking I love them and I don't care what anyone says. I know they only wrote 4 songs. I know that, but I fucking <laughs> I love those 4 songs in all of their different displays. Uh but I just to give myself more like a little more street cred or whatever is that the alternating years of, of the bad religion obsession, uh, is a Pink Floyd obsession. So I will alternate those. And, uh, but right, right now I'm in, I'm in a kind of a heavy bad religion phase right now.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I haven't listened to anything new lately. So, well, actually, uh, Oh no, I didn't listen. To yeah. I haven't listened to anything new lately, but uh, I haven't listened to the band Locrian in a while. I was surprised that they have two albums out this year um it's like very wide scale post-rock black gaze type stuff um they were like i feel like i found out about them like in college i think um so it was nice to revisit them uh i listened to like a lot of black metal apparently uh type stuff Uh, i listened to arcturus which is like epic black metal i liked it a lot i listened to nay obliv I don't I can't say this band's name. Ney Obliviscaris. Metal band's just something something easy to pronounce.
1: Just call yourself Jeff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you hear that new Jeff record?
1: It's fucking brutal.
0: <laughs> it's like Tad. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, I don't yeah. uh I don't I don't listen to a lot of black metal. I don't know what it I don't I don't know what it is. It's just I mean I maybe dip, it's be, it maybe like out. by design from them like I'm the I'm the exact person they're trying to avoid or have avoid their music because it's so harsh and like again like I I I don't have enough knowledge to even know like what kind of world is available in in that world just the brief things that I've heard black metal wise I'm just like I, I don't know I don't know I, I don't know I get and out.
0: It has to be it's usually it's like I can't listen to like just that but that's just like because of what I like to listen to um but there are like certain ones where I'm like oh yeah like I want to listen to that cuz it sounds like really fucking cool or whatever but I don't need like a ton. I usually like look to somebody to give me a good recommendation, you know, when, yeah. it, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, but you're talking about Cult of Luna. I listened to their debut for the first time, and that is a fucking hell of a debut, man.
1: Yeah. They're such a great incredible. band.
0: Listen to some Zappa, One Size Fits All, and uh, this band, Fuck Buttons, which is like a fuck real... Buttons. Yeah, Fuck Buttons. It's like real... Uh, at times weird, but really heavy electronic music. Like, I loved it. So I wound up listening to all three of their records. But uh, the album Slow Focus is excellent. Yeah, really cool band.
1: I don't tend to... I don't listen to a lot of new music, to be honest with you.
0: Well, you produce a lot of new music.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, the vast majority of my listening time is stuff that I'm working on. Or even going back and, like... It could be considered an ego listen, but I, I look at it as like like a coach looking at like dailies, you know, like just like making, you know, going back and being like, all right, is this progressing? Like, you know, like working on a record that, with a band that I recorded other records with, you know, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back through their catalog and, and just like, you know, listen to make sure that there is a progression or that we're achieving this, the thing that they were so happy about the last time, you know. But a lot of it's like work-related listening. I don't do a whole lot of just like recreational listening, which that I should. Sense. I mean, the, like the new stuff that I that I listen to is basically based on recommendations from friends and bands that are like, we want. We're, we're looking for this kind of a sound. Back in like, I don't know, two thousand one. You know, I had to study fucking converge jane doe because every band wanted to sound like (laughs) converging jane doe record so i had to study that shit and just be like how 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 are they doing that
0: what was the most interesting thing you learned about converge (laughs) listening to it over and over
1: distort everything (laughs) kurt even has a kurt even has a sticker on his computer screen that says distort everything i'm like yeah exactly that's that's how that shit's done also Uh amazing musicians and that, oh, yeah. that helps as well, so.
0: Goes a long way. Yeah. Well, besides um, the new Otolith, blah, wow, now I'm just saying it completely wrong, but besides the new Otolith album coming up, uh, do you have anything else in the works? Um, and is there, or is there anything you wanna plug or promote? I know you said you're terrible at promotion, but I'm giving you a chance to do it. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm pretty bad at it. Um, yeah, that's the thing that I'm most excited about right now. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and like I said, we we finished that record last year in March, and so it's it's taken this long to for it to come out, and that's been frustrating, but but also I you know very very excited for the for the world to hear it, and I I'm very proud of it. I I, I actually listened to to that record recreationally. Because I'll be, I'll listen to one song, and I'll just like, and then I'll, I'll finish the record just because I, was like, God, and then I do this thing where I'll be like at home at night listening, I'll listen to it, and I'll be like, kind of drunk and stoned, and be like, <laughs> why doesn't everybody, why doesn't everybody give a shit about this record already, like, and then I'm like, oh wait, I'm one of like five people that have heard this record, so get, slow your roll, but <laughs> just give it, give it time, but yeah, I'm excited for that. I don't really have a new guts record is going to be we're we're working on that. That's going to be great. I'm working uh, with a band called go rot from Boise.
0: Oh yeah. They're Um, awesome. Yeah. We we
1: finished, uh, we finished tracking their their record a couple weeks ago. And so we're working on that. That's going to be, that's exciting. It sounds fucking great already. Just keep on keeping on man. You know,
0: I guess uh, for anybody out there that's curious, just tell them the name of your studio and like what it is and where they can find it if they're interested in possibly. Uh,
1: okay, so it's it's called The Boar's Nest, which is a Dukes of Hazard reference. <laughs> you know, I I, I, don't, I don't know that I, I stand behind, you know, the Dukes of Hazard reference nowadays. I don't mm-hmm. think it aged very well, but the, the name was given to me by a band that recorded there. Because again, I'm so bad at business that I never had a website, I never had you know, uh, people would say, what's the name of your studio? I'm like, I don't know. Andy's place. I don't know. I, I never had a name for the studio. So I was sharing my place with another engineer for a couple of years and he's super business and has a website and you know Facebook and Instagram. And like, so selfishly that people like would be working with, with me and they would tag his, business. And I would be like, Oh, fuck. Could you, could you tag me? And they're like, I, I don't know uh, your name. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so I set up a, a very primitive Facebook page called the boar's nest. So people can tag me on it, but I don't do anything on there. The, the pictures that are on there are the ones that I put up there when I started the account and I've <laughs> I don't interact. I'm always surprised when someone like messages me through this, the studio site. I'm like, how the fuck do you even find that? You know? So, so anyway, it's called the boar's nest. It's on Facebook. And then I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I guess I'm on Instagram. I, I don't remember signing up for it. I've never done anything on it, but I keep getting notifications of followers (laughs) and things like that. But See and that's the and that's my I, that's a bit now because like I can't even post anything on Instagram because it's been so long since I've I've been on there and having people following me and I've never posted anything. Like if you look at my stats or whatever it's like I'm following a certain amount of people, a certain amount of people are following me, zero posts. Like <laughs> nothing. So now I can't because it's not as funny. And or if I do it's got to be something like crucial, like something important, you know? So anyway, I'm on all the, all the things and, but under Andy Patterson.
0: And last question, how long does it take to get the beard out to here? And have you ever trimmed it before?
1: Well, I've shaved it about 15 years ago. I it's <laughs> a fucking stupid, funny story. I was in a band and we were flown out to New York to play for Clive Davis. Do you know who Clive Davis is? I do not. He owns music, right? He's like, I think he's like the fucking BMI. Like he's the president oh, okay, of okay, okay. Like he signed fucking Bruce Springsteen and Whitney Houston. And, okay. okay. You know what so, I mean? He's like a big shit. Like he's, he's, yeah. he's the okay. Simon Cowell before Simon Cowell. Okay. Right? He's the, he was the fucking hit maker or whatever. Anyway, he flew my band out to play for him. And at that time, he was really into youth. Like he had, he had like signed like Maroon Five and you know what, like All American Rejects or something, you know shit like that. And my band begged me, and the and the beard was the beard was only like that at that point, you know, yeah. like it wasn't in, in anything significant. But the band begged me to shave my beard because he's like he's into he's into youth, you know, and he wants us to not, not look like old grizzled dudes or whatever. I'm like, oh, fine. So I did it. I shaved the beard. We went out and played. He said, that was great. I'll call you on Monday. Have fun over the weekend in New York. You know, it was, He paid for everything. And it was fucking rock star shit, you know? And then we got home and he said that, uh, or his people, he didn't even call us personally. But his people said that we're too old and we don't have a, a star in the band. And so I put my finger against uh, at the bass player because the bass player who is like, Eight years younger than me was balding already <laughs> and our singer was like too shy and so we didn't have a star in the band And I'm like see the fucking beard didn't do shit <laughs> and so that was the last time I've ever cut touched a, yeah, a hair on this That was about 15 years ago so that's how long and then and it's tossed out commitment. like it I, it I don't think it'll get any longer I think that I think that's it because it hasn't grown past this uh for probably eight years.
0: You're gonna be walking on it if it goes any further.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm content. The beard's (laughs) in charge. I don't have any say, you know. Oh that
0: that the beard is what's actually behind all the production work. That's That's, right. The 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 beard is in charge. I am just a vehicle. (laughs) Well thank you so much for your, your time. This has been a wonderful and fascinating conversation. Um Andy Patterson the Otelitz debut album is coming out later this year. I don't, I don't, remember uh, think. I think
1: the date is October 21st. If all goes is according to plan.
0: Excellent. Coming out in the best month of the year, in my opinion. That's right. Check that out. Uh, go listen to Sub Rosa and uh, go listen to any number of the dozens of possibly hundreds of bands Andy has worked with. And uh, just, I don't know, get, throw the man a bone. <laughs>
1: Appreciate that, man
0: take care and all that and uh, that'll do it for this chapter